0: A-S-I, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is Season 3. You're listening to Episode 45. My name is Russ Shaw. And you, you're you, about to enter into a musically enhanced audio adventure filled with dissonant-solving conundrum of sinner saints in a fallen technologically advanced world <laughs> how's that how's that for an intro statement
1: boom right there feeling my way through the darkness guided by a beating heart i can't tell where the journey will end but i know where to start they tell me i'm too young to understand
0: is some awesome bumper music by some great musicians whose band name I'm not going to attempt to, uh, to pronounce. <laughs> uh, if you go to the website, there's a website to this whole dog and pony show we call the ASI Attitudes of Sexual Integrity Podcast. It is asi247.org. And if you click on the music tab, there's a list of all of the music on season 3 starting from episode 1 all the way down to episode 45 to way down there at the bottom you gotta scroll way down to the bottom right, like you're buying something online and you have to do that accept thing and you scroll through all that text that nobody reads and you you click accept to God knows what and then, right, that's (laughs) that's kind of like the that's how the music page works on the ASI website man, Don't judge me, all right? My web skills, my design skills are like uh, vintage, all right? (laughs) It's a retro HTML, bro. You got to like it. It's what it is. Um, I don't know. I I, I, I have a a listener who offered me a facelift on the the website. I'm considering it. Um, One of the things is that, you know, there's a lot of folks that listen in other countries and some third world countries. There's like people that listen in Africa, all, all over Africa, parts of China that are English speaking. Um, Hong Kong was settled hundreds of years ago by the English. Hong Kong was owned by, you know, uh, what do they call that, Commonwealth of Britain, right? Uh, for a hundred years and now it's owned by China again. And so there's, yeah man, there's, there's folks who listen in areas of the world that don't have, you know, all the flash and all that stuff going on don't have the bandwidth to carry all that so, uh that's part of the reason the website is so old looking (laughs) Uh, so that's the way I justify it anyway I don't know let me know, give me uh, your feedback on the website or the whole ASI experience it's russ at asi247.org would love to hear from you um what else Um, last week's episode had a error in it so I don't know if you caught that it was an editing error, I have fixed it since, but if you listen to the whole show and towards the end of the show you heard it kind of on a loop there there was a, the end of the show kind of get repeated twice I've actually fixed that, there's a an alternate ending <laughs> if you want to call it that it's kind of like getting in DVD and hey I got the alternate ending no this is this is different this is actually the ending that was supposed to be on there but I yeah it was my mistake I messed up but I re-uploaded the file but I'm not sure Stitcher radio has this streaming technology and and I'm not sure if it if it updated that that episode yet but now that this episode's up, you may be able to go back and listen to that episode If you don't want to, here's the deal if you don't want to hear the whole episode over again and you just want to hear what you missed, because you're like, yeah, I heard that, you know, repeat loop thing, Russ, nice work there, rookie, (laughs) right? You audio production noob. Um, Hey, anyway, uh, (laughs) beating up on myself over here. Uh, you can go to SoundCloud. I'll have a, a link to the SoundCloud account where I just have that snippet, that, that, end of the show I think it's like five or six or eight minutes long I can't remember uh but if you if you go to the website asi247.org I'll have a link to the SoundCloud page and you can just listen to it it's like a widget and you can just play it from your device or your computer or whatever it is uh and you can follow me on SoundCloud if you're a SoundCloud person SoundCloud it's pretty cool SoundCloud um it's another distraction to get in the way of living a focused, on purpose, intentional life. Um, <laughs> I make I make jokes, all right. What else is there? Uh, another announcement. Um, donations. If you could donate to the podcast, I would certainly appreciate it. Um, the podcast is broke, so if you go to the website and you and you see this little. It's like a sad face with, it looks like a gas gauge, and the little pointy thing is on the E. <laughs> the reason for that is is that right now, my budget is, is like zero. I'm, I, I, right, there's no, there's money coming out to pay for the bandwidth, but there's no, there's no money in there. So, that's why that's there. Um, to be honest with you, it's not that much money to keep the bandwidth going. Uh, it you know it's like I don't know twenty seven twenty eight dollars a month I pay a little more for the security around the website because people people want to hack me right um, honestly I, I probably spend more than that on beer every month so it's not it's too much of a financial burden what is uh, time-consuming is the editing and getting guests on and tying that whole thing together making time to interview guests um that takes time I'm actually self-employed my job is a like a sales rep I work for a, a company I sell pizza for a uh, franchise type of operation and I, I do bulk sales for big companies like, like Nintendo right? in the Seattle area some other video game developers in the Seattle area uh big you know companies like Alaska Airlines and stuff like that so uh, my business gets busy and the economy's getting better and I'm in more in demand that's my my major um, asset is time and time costs money so you know I have a job I'm blessed to have the business I have where I can, when I can afford it, right? I can take time away from my pizza business in order to spend more hours doing this this ASI podcast. So again, when you donate to the show, you're actually producing, right? Helping me free up some time, you know, selling high fat, (laughs) high carbohydrate food and and helping people who who struggle with uh, with sexual addiction by doing this podcast and putting up more content so that's what you're doing with your your dollars when you donate to this website that's that's truth all right again when you donate to the podcast you're actually helping there be more podcasts so I'd like to do one a week. That was kind of a goal of mine, but sometimes it's just not financially feasible, given the time constraints that I have and the fact that I will um, spend time with my family and right not let this thing consume me again. It, it did for a while, about a year. I had to stop. I stopped doing the show for almost a year because it became like a new addiction thing for me. Right, ministry can become an addiction. Uh, something my friends remind me of. Russ, you, you're a Christian leader with a ministry, a Christian ministry that leads people. Uh, it kind of freaks me out, to be honest with you. But <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, it's like I didn't sign up to be a leader, but I I am. Uh, uh, I realize that now. That's a sobering fact that I don't take lightly. So again, I don't want to beat the freaking dead horse all day, but honestly, if, if you enjoy the show, if you want to see more shows, um, investing in the show to make that happen, uh, man, I will take the time and I will, uh, put out more content as I can afford to. That's, but again, that's part of the interaction between me and the listener. That you would donate and and uh, man i appreciate every single one of you that believe in this this thing enough that half insane person that you listen to <laughs> you you have enough faith in me to listen in the first place and to invest in the show moving forward um man it just uh it, it humbles me to more than i could put to words so anyway done with that closing the the, the door on that deal right there. Put the put that away. Um, donations. ASI247.org. Click on the donation button. Send me an email if you'd like to send a check or something like that. You don't like sending money online. Uh, I get that. I'll send you an address that you can mail a check or money order or whatever you want to do to as well. Uh, done. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> I promise. Close that. Put a key in it. Lock it. Put it over there. Done, all right. Um, today on the show, I'm gonna end out this show. Last week, I kinda had a challenge with talking about forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, confession, making amends. Having your life, um, looking at it as a, a story that needs to unfold, right? But having more of a deeper challenge than than just starting well I'm going to lose 20 pounds or you know I'm going to start a business which I think is great um, uh, you know breaking a habit I'm going to quit smoking I, I don't know those are great and noble things that you should be working on uh, but what about your relationships and the ripple effect that you will leave with your life and your family and the people that live trusting close to you, right? Your neighbors, so to speak, as the Bible would say. Um, How are you at that when it comes to, you know, the story of your life unfolding and how the story of your relationships, which was really one of those treasured things. It's one of the only things that we will take out of this world. All of your stuff is going to rot and go out of style and end up in a, in the ground or in a landfill or just burnt along with your body, which will go in a tomb when you die, all right? There's some things that are tangible things that will survive past this life, and those are relationships, all right? And it's important, so. And listen, I'll be honest, this is something I've had to work at, right? The relationship stuff. Is it's freeing on the inside? It's one of those um, defining freedom uh, via defining love type of things, right? Like I've had to realize that my running to isolation or bitterness and anger, like those are easy, quick things that we can do, but they're not freeing, right? Like the last show I did in the end and talking about letting it go and dealing with these uh, these emotions of anger and fear and how that, um, how that impacts the people that we know and love in relationship. Um, I have another piece of an announcement, another piece of news, and it, it may actually require... Some bumper music from uh, from six a.m. So I, I, it pains me to say. Here, here we go. Here's uh, another piece, another piece of news for you. Here, I find beauty in things that, that don't necessarily find beautiful. Are you with me now? Are you ready to dig into the things that scare you and expose the, the raw nerve and, and get on with our lives? It's okay to be with you. piece of news that it it grieves me and hurts me to say, but I am no longer a member of Mars Hill Church in Everett, Seattle, Bellevue, or wherever Mars Hill is. Uh, I just can't stay there anymore. Um, I don't want to go into this too much. Uh, There was a scandal, the New York Times bestseller list scandal if you haven't heard about that it kind of was all over the news for a while um, but it really pointed to some deeper problems in leadership right when when there's I used to think that Mars Hill had a good beat on things because it's so hard to become a pastor there that that it, it, you know the qualifications for elder and pastor at Mars Hill were were pretty stringent but when a bunch of guys get together and decide that it's okay, to mislead to hack to um when the new york times bestseller list has a certain parameter that they go by for the integrity of authors that actually are thought movers in this country and we we manipulate that and and hack it like that's not cool right um it's just it's sin is what it is it's So this pointed to some deeper problems in leadership and exposed a lot of things. Um, I don't want to bore you with all the details. It's just a lot of stuff that went on. Um, A good friend of mine that I've known for years, an an absolute godly man, him and his wife, Diane, an elderly guy. Not elderly. He's older than a lot of of folks at Mars Hill. He's just... Fits every aspect of being an elder um, Under qualifications, right? He was fired for not signing a no-compete clause Yeah, that's right. The church has a no-compete clause. So if you are a leader at Mars Hill I don't know when this started or how long this has been going on, but eventually they want you to sign a document saying that you will not be in leadership of a church within 10 miles of any other Mars Hill campus so um, if you count all the Mars Hill campuses in western Washington that's pretty much the whole Seattle area all the way from SeaTac, Tacoma right all the way up to Everett uh, and and that's just sad and, and they let go my friend because he wouldn't sign that document and um, if that's if that's how they're going to do church, um, I don't think that's church. There's nothing in the Bible that supports anything remotely like a no-compete clause, right? I work for a pizza franchise. We we do no-compete clauses, right? When we have a, a person in business sign up. This is not selling pizza. This is not opening a McDonald's. This is a shepherding of hearts and minds. It's a predatory practice. It is guarding your own little um, livestock field. And uh, the church didn't want it exposed but because Phil wouldn't sign that document and actually resigned as a result they, they let him go also right um, as a result and he's not being quiet about that I think that's good uh, it also shows that you know the church saying that they're going to be a kinder gentler uh, all about mediation and all about Jesus right uh, this is this is where your actions speak so loud I, I can no longer hear a word you say so I, I, it comes on the heels of my last podcast being about forgiveness, making amends, right, um, reconciliation. Uh, the church doesn't seem to want to reconcile with the people that it's trying to shepherd. And so it, it, rather than being transparent, people are left to guess what's going on. And, and, and it's, it, it's just... Gross. I, I can't do it any longer. I've tried to hold on as long as I could. I, I even went to a meeting where I was, you know, pressing some of the leadership in Everett about the, you know, with, with some hard questions and, and they answered when they could. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, w- when my friend Phil was let go for signing a no compete clause, for not signing. Not signing a no compete clause. Um, yeah, man, I just I can't I can't be a part of a an organization that that would do that sort of thing. So, anyway, if you want to hear more about that, if you go onto my on the website asi two four seven org, you click the like button. That's my Facebook, uh, and that's where I'll be uh, I'll be posting. some of the reasons why and uh the guest i have on the next show i'm not going to be talking about mars hill so much as i'm going to be talking about what it looks like to have a transparent leadership right and so people can go to a place where they feel safe where you know the leadership isn't (laughs) isn't saying hey we don't like it when people are honest right um you say that with your actions when you fire someone, right? You're basically saying this is not a place for repentant sinners to, to get help. You, when your actions speak so loud, I can no longer hear a word you say. And it's no longer, you're not trying to reconcile. Um, there's some company that's been brought in to try and reconcile. They've been saying that for a few months, and it, nothing, it just keeps getting worse. So. Uh, rather than I, I just again I can't I can't stay at Mt. Mars Hill Church anymore. It was a very very healthy place. It has changed my life. Mark Driscoll um, has changed my life. Uh, really, some of his teaching is really good. But there's a difference between preaching and pointing down the path that others should walk, and then there's actually walking it yourself. And and that's why I'm out, man. And it pains me to say this, man. It pains me to say that I'm leaving the church that I've been a part of for, what, seven years now? Um, eight years? I, I don't know, 2006? My wife and I started going, and, and it's... My wife no longer goes. She hasn't been going for a while and, you know, I'm Mr. Being the Man. going to stick with my church. I'm not going to be a church hopper. And just, you know, I, I'm sick over it. And there's a lot of emails I got over the years of folks who aren't going to church and are like, I don't trust organized religion. And, you know, being part of a mega church was something that I, I didn't like. But I did like. The philosophy of Mars Hill. I, I like Mark's preaching. I still like Mark's preaching, but there's, you know, it's easy to say stuff, man. It's a whole lot harder to walk it. It really is. It's easy to preach at people and tell other people how they should and ought to live, but it's another thing to walk it. You can point down the path and tell people to walk that road, but it's to actually walk it yourself is is something else entirely. That's integrity. I, I, I mean, I named the show "Attitudes of Sexual Integrity" because integrity is like that. It's not perfection. It it just means that you're okay. Here's where I'm actually at. Here's what I believe, and and, and here's where I'm here's where I'm living. And how do those two things match up? And talking about reality being real, being honest and the collision of the heart and the soul and the circumstances and stresses of life again man it's easy to talk about the path it's a lot harder to walk it and talk it (laughs) so I laugh I'm I'm sick of this, I am, I'm sick of this I've, I've shed tears over it and now I'm publicly telling you, my listening audience, um, that I have sort of a weird, intimate connection with in a certain to a certain degree. Um, that I'm leaving my church, man. Just hardship, and and now here we are but it is what it is and I will march forward and I will move on and I will see this as as a a good thing all right I don't I don't want to see the church fall I don't like seeing people leave I don't like seeing stiff-necked religious people try to hold on to their power you know shout at others how they're wolves and you can't see yourself Mark wrote a beautiful book years ago called Radical Reformation, and now the whole thing has just become what he he, he reeled against, and it's, it's sad, and I'm hurt and sick over it, and so are a lot of other people. There was a time when in the Seattle area, this very free-thinking, not overtly Christian um, open morality type of a culture, right? Had Mars Hill Church had its ear. Attracted a lot of people. Grew really fast. We were, at one point, looked on well by outsiders, right? Timothy 3. I, I think that that's that snare of the devil. is the, the church continues to declare war on itself and its own people and especially loving, caring shepherds who are trying to push back what's dark in the world are shot, right, inside the church. Um, another pastor that was abruptly fired, another good godly man like Phil Poyer is in Ballard. This guy, Phil Smith, uh, he was let go abruptly, um, Another guy who didn't break his eldership stuff. He just simply started asking questions. And that's what got him. Um, And that kind of thing is continuing on. Uh, That's where a guy like me has to... right? If I'm going to go into battle, and I believe that being in a church is very much like being in a spiritual battle with other brothers and sisters... Um, There's certain people with certain gifts that have been like they don't matter as much. Does that make sense? Um, I think it's cool that if you're going to go into battle with snipers, you'd better also go into battle with guys who know how to drive tanks and fly airplanes. Does that make sense? If we fire all the guys who know how to drive the tanks and fly the airplanes, you want me to go into battle with you? Uh, you know, if that if that's continues to be your decision-making, again, that's why I, I can no longer stay at Mars Hill Church. Mike Wilkerson has left the church. Uh, Justin Holcomb left a while ago. Um, the guys that have had as guests on the show, they're all not no longer with the church. Um, most of the people I know have left the church. That's just where we're at. So, um, On the website... If you go to my Facebook page, I will be posting some of this stuff and the reason I'm leaving and, and if you're interested in, in checking that stuff out, how heavy this is on my heart and some other folks and and why I, I and, and a lot of other folks have left. All the interviews I've done, there's no nobody that's still there at Mars Hill that's really about helping hurting bleeding people who are honest right (laughs) i hate to say that sounds accusatory but it's it's true um most of the authentic community guys have left so yeah that's that's where i'm at but i'm gonna see this as a blessing and i know that it's dark but god has a better story coming right this is just a, a chapter in 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 my story and a lot of other people's stories but a lot of good things can come out of it. So I have a presentation of intentional, purposeful audio for you today. You're going to hear a talk by Donald Miller, who is a author and speaker. Uh, wrote the book uh, Blue Like Jazz, which was a big New York Times bestseller. Uh, about 10 years ago, something like that. He has a new book out called Storyline. Uh, he has a whole, again, he, he, like I talked about in the last episode, he has a whole kind of a system, like a life coaching kind of system, uh, website and everything, Storyline, uh, which is at storylineblog.org, I believe it is. Uh, or storyline.com, storyline.org, I'm not sure. If you Google Donald Miller Storyline, you will find uh, all that information there. Why is this important to listen to this talk by Donald Miller about, you know, storyline and life? Um, what does this have to do with sexual addiction, Russ? Some of you may be asking. Here's what's important check this out. Um, Gary right the guy I uh, played some of the that I played on a previous episode your brain on Porn.com. those guys some of the intentional purposeful audio clip that I played from uh, his TED talk about uh, the scientific evidence of porn addiction and the facts about How getting out of the cycle of porn addiction and sex addiction um, really improves our lives, improves the lives of young men, improves the lives of of older men and women, right? When we can see a larger purpose for our lives, um, here's some of the stuff that's on his website, yourbrainonporn.com. There's a bunch of, lots of testimonies from different people, um. age 29 I can't believe how I feel today compared to one year ago age 18, 9 months great confidence, centered because of better focus and attention and memory I can talk to anyone now really um, breaking some of this social anxiety a lot of this uh, research and data is, has been brought to light thanks to the NoFap subreddit on the website reddit uh, the FAPstronauts that are out there, over 105,000 people are uh, on the FAPstronaut, right? The uh, Fap website now, 105,000 people. Um, there's, there's some more articles and stuff on the website, yourbrainonporn.com. Age 40, married, my life is so much better physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Age 22, premature ejaculation cured. Right, guys in their 20s with ED, right? That's because of porn addiction. Uh, so much more energy, reduced ADHD meds, improved grades, overcoming some of my depression. What does it look like to just quit a behavior? Right, like okay. Some of us, we, we pray and we enter into some kind of a program because we want the behavior gone, all right? Well, what, hypothetically, what if that happened? What if the behavior just got removed? I mean, that, it's just that life doesn't work that way. You're set on a course. You're headed out, you know, in pursuit of something your life is unfolding and pouring out every day what's that gonna look like in your future maybe this can uh, shed some light on the path that we're all on and are uh, really honestly are honoring this gift of life that God has given us with a purposeful direction here you go. This is Donald Miller speaking at the Willow Creek Church in the Chicago
1: area. Alive. just open your eyes, just open your eyes and see that light.
2: Hi! So good to be with you. So good to be with you. After thinking for a couple years about story and writing a book about story, which is really a book about life, what are we supposed to do with our life? It's so good to be with you on Academy Award weekend. Is that a thing around here? And we—I have like a big party for the Academy Awards, and we make just buckets of popcorn. We print out ballots, and you vote, and then there's like a white elephant gift. So you win the, you know, the the leg lamp if you get the most. Points or whatever. Do this every year. So much fun doing it this year. So I'm really stoked. So I, I want to get a feel because I still have time to turn in my ballot for what you think the best film, which is worth 10 points. With, and I, I want to get the advantage. So we're gonna we're gonna just we're just gonna kind of get a, a feel for Illinois where you're coming from. So here we go. Here are the nominations for Best Picture 2010. By a round of applause, who's gonna win? There's a bunch of them. The first one is Avatar. Did you see that one? Bunch of Smurf fans. The Blind Side. Blind Side beats Avatar. Good to know. District 9 Cockroaches and Aliens. Not going to do it. An Education. Not seen very much, but that was actually a very good movie. And then uh, The Hurt Locker. That's my pick right now. The Hurt Locker. Didn't get a lot from you guys. I don't know what that movie is. Inglorious. Glorious Balloons and Glorious Baloney precious. Didn't see that one. Okay, got some good claps there. What else do we have? A serious man. I think that was the most seriously boring movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Up was awesome. <laughs> Love that movie. I saw Up in the Air. It made me down in the dumps. I don't want to see it. We have a culture that just loves stories. We, not just a culture, as human beings, We need stories, we feed on stories. Your brain was designed to engage stories. Uh, Stories make sense to us where random events don't. It's kind of like music. I mean, if I were to play you the sound of a dump truck backing up and some children laughing and a jackhammer going off, you would not have that stuck in your head two weeks later. You'd not be going, "Ah, I just can't get that dump truck backing up out of my head. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. If I were to play you a song though, you would get that stuck in your head. But really what we're talking about are the same things. We're just talking about noise. We're talking about vibrations that travel, actually not vibrations, they're sound waves that travel across magic and go into your eardrums and vibrate your eardrums. But if you you filter noise through certain principles, you can create music, and the human brain engages music differently than it engages noise. Story works the same way. If you filter random events through certain principles, you can create a narrative and the human brain engages a narrative by God's design. It's a fascinating study. I mean, I've, I've read books on how to manipulate people in writing movies that are like 900-page-long philosophy books on why the deep brain engages story. What happens when you watch a movie is there's a kind of, I'll call it a moral compass in your brain that gets adjusted. It's through narrative, through stories, that we learn what is beautiful in life, what is worth pursuing, what is not worth pursuing, what is profane, what is worth sacrificing for, what's worth dying for. We learn this when you hear a story. And this, this moral compass can be corrupted. I mean, if you watched movies that were just about nonsense, you could actually train your brain to think that something that's worth pursuing is absolutely not worth pursuing at all. You come to the end of your life and go, I can't believe I pursued this for so long, and it's just a meaningless story. It's kind of like, have you ever been in a movie when the credits start rolling, and you're going, really? <laughs> really? This is, that was it? Yeah. A lot of people come to the end of their lives, and they go, really? That was it? I mean, it just feels meaningless. But the truth is, you and I have a lot more uh, agency, if you will, over how our story goes than we like to admit or we even feel comfortable thinking about. God actually hands you a pen and says, I want you to tell a great story with your life. I've heard people say to me, well, no, no, God has a specific plan for my life. Maybe. I mean, I think he has a plan for your life to know Christ, to glorify God. There are some general basics there that are certainly biblically true. But I want to write an essay called The Chances of God Having a Specific Plan for Your Life are 1 in 227. Just going through scripture, right? Like, what are the chances? Well, here, here, I want to give you some basics, and you're going to want to write this down. If this happens to you, God has a specific plan for your life. This is just biblical. If an angel comes to you and tells you to follow a star, you should do that. Right? If you have a dream and you're going to be second in command of Egypt, that's iffy. Uh, If your donkey talks to you, (laughs) if you've never had sex and you end up pregnant, there's something going on there, you're going to want to see a counselor first, and then you're going to want to, I mean, you're going to know. But to a lot of us, God gives you the freedom to do essentially something really remarkable with your life, and that's scary. I mean, I much more like the idea of waiting around and praying, God, tell me specifically what to do. That way, if he doesn't tell me, it's not my fault. (laughs) Right? I can just play video games until God tells me. Imagine going to dinner at a family's house and the dad is sitting at the head of the table. And you don't know these people. They're just, you know, they're acquaintances. And the dad says to the kids at the table, I don't want you to do anything without my permission. I'm going to tell you exactly who to marry, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, I'm going to tell you what your job is going to be, all of it. And your job is to please me by doing exactly, I give you no freedom. Would you think that's a healthy family? No, there's nothing healthy about that. You would say the healthy family is, okay, I'm going to teach you right from wrong, I'm going to teach you wisdom, I'm going to give you guidelines, I'm going to spank you when you mess up too bad. And then within those parameters, you're going to have some decision-making to do, and you're going to be able to live uh, an exciting life. So often, the way this translates, this sounds like really complicated theological stuff. It's really not. Here's often how I pray to God. God, I I think I really want to be a lawyer. And God says to me, you could never be a lawyer. You don't have any gifting to be a lawyer. You can't even file your taxes. How are you going to be a lawyer? (laughs) If you want to do it, do it, but you're going to wreck at that. Oh, okay, well, maybe be a writer. You could do a writer. You daydream all the time. Just write some of this stuff down. <laughs> Good luck. You know what I mean? I think some conversations actually go that way. And I think as, as believers, one of the things that we want to do in our faith and in our life is, is actually take some responsibility. What if God wants us to receive this life that he's given us and do something really special and meaningful and exciting that honors him with it. What if that's what God is doing? What if that's the reason that your donkey has never talked to you? Because God has obviously just given us the freedom to do this. What is a good story? How does a person live a really great story? Well, I learned, some friends of mine and I, we wrote a screenplay, the movie hasn't been made so you can't see it, it wasn't nominated this year, but uh, we learn this, a story is basically this, a character that wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. A character that wants something, think of any story. Think of your favorite movie, think of your favorite novel, and you know what it's about? A character that wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. Gone with the Wind is a character that wants something. Tommy Boy, same thing, character that wants something <laughs> overcomes conflict to get it, right? that's basically what a story is and God actually invented and created story I mean he puts in the heart of man the desire to want something you are a character in an epic story and you have a little subplot within that story that you have freedom to please God within and we can do something with that why do you exist you know I am I, um, Sometimes I live in Oregon, and, and I have this condo that uh, I can look out, and about 30 miles away is Mount Hood. It's about 11,000 feet. It's really beautiful. I mean, honestly, if you looked at it, it looks like a pimple on the horizon for my condo. But, it's, you know, it's neat. And every morning, I, I didn't put any blinds on my window, so the sunrise wakes me up. And you say, Don, that, well, about half the year it's overcast, so about half the year I get to sleep in. But the rest of the time, really remarkably beautiful sunrise. And sometimes I think, you know, God created me to live within this landscape and to try to match it in terms of doing something with my life that matches that kind of beauty. You know what I mean? I mean the exposition. I was driving, I have a friend who's a, a landscape photographer. He works for National Geographic and he, um, he really is just a phenomenal photographer. And we were driving, we left his house outside of Portland one night at about 2 in the morning in order to drive to Central Oregon and take a picture of sunrise at Mount Bachelor, And in the middle of the night, maybe four or five in the morning, we're up in the high desert in Central Oregon, and my friend, he's driving his, his, uh, his Ford Focus or Ford whatever the truck is, and he's driving, and he's kind of like, got, he's driving with his knee. He's a terrible driver anyway, because he's from Philadelphia. And he's driving, and he's got his knee, and he keeps looking up at the sky. And finally, he just pulls the truck over, and he says, get out with me. And we're in the middle of nowhere. No, We haven't seen traffic in an hour. And he says, get out with me. He turns off the ignition. And you know how the lights stay on for a minute? He, I see him, and he just starts walking down the road. And then he lays down in the middle of the road. And I'm thinking, I, you know, it's four in the morning. And uh, he, we hadn't had anything to drink. This is just normal behavior for him. <laughs> I get out of the truck, and I'm walking. The lights finally go off. And he's like, just lay down. And I lay down, and you forget how many stars there are when you live in a city. And when, at that elevation, it just quadruples, right? I mean, billions and billions and billions of, it's just mesmerizing. And we laid there in the middle of the road for maybe 10 minutes, and my my friend is also a a Bible scholar. He's a professor at a local Bible college, part-time. Full-time, he's a landscape photographer. So I said, John, why did God do this? Like, why did God make this so beautiful? And he said, because he loves you and he just wants to dazzle you. Like, this is just a gift for you. He just, this is his way of saying, I love you. And we, I realize one of the problems with life is that we're born like these kind of uh, little dumb infants, you know? And we just, we're just blobs, right? And we just, we're just, and slowly, like the frog in the boiling water, slowly we grow into this amazing life and we kind of just get used to it. And we just, we forget how unbelievable this experience is that we're actually having. And occasionally, you'll lay down and you'll look at the heavens and you go, whoa, this is just so, that's where we are. And we get to frame a life within the beauty of that kind of experience. We are a character in a story that God is telling. And in order to tell a great story, the character actually has to want something. You say, well, I don't want to want anything that God hasn't orchestrated, you know, and I'm not going to go. Well, hold on a second. We want all kinds of things. I mean, when God created you, he created you to want some things universally. We want food. We want water. We want companionship. You didn't decide any of that. God made you that way. So we actually, it's called an inciting incident in story where you make the character move forward. None of us has the option of just sitting this out. You're created to want to keep living and to need food in order to keep living, which means you have to get up because you have to work for food. You are thrown, thrust into the story of life. God says, go, experience it, make things happen, interact with your environment, rub against other people, experience life. So we're automatically just thrown into that. And then we get this free will over what we want. And you know, if you go to a, a blockbuster video or something and, and you pick up the, the DVD, just do this. Next time you're in a video store, if this is how you rent movies, you, 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 by next Thursday there won't be any, but, here, but you go <laughs> pick up the DVD and look at the back of it and it's gonna say this. It's gonna say, Jason Bourne, a character, wants to know who he really is. Want something. But guys are trying to kill him, has to overcome conflict, right? Every single story. And so if, if we don't want something in our lives, our stories just they don't make much sense. I mean, you literally sit in the theater of your brain and you watch the screen and you just go, where is this going? And if we want something that isn't story worthy, if you will, our stories can just feel really boring. Now, I know that you're going through this series and you, and you, you talked about consumerism last week. The average American encounters 3,000 commercial messages a day. 3,000 times a day, you're being told that you want something, right? So 3,000 times a day, your story is being hijacked so that we end up telling stories about wanting a Volvo. I don't have any problem with people who drive Volvos. I drive an Audi. Not a Volvo, so my story's more exciting. <laughs> it's a little faster. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, this is not a, a critique on what car you drive, but it is a critique on what we want. If you want a Volvo, that's what you're going to do with your life over the next five years is save enough money to get a Volvo. That's fine. Morally, no problem with it in terms of living an interesting, meaningful life and expecting a meaningful experience out of that, it isn't going to happen. I mean, if you went to a movie and, and you sat there and you just went, ah, oh, you know, I've been wanting to see this film, I saw the trailers, it And up comes the character, right? And in and, and the inciting incident, you realize the character wants a Volvo. And for two hours in this movie, he works at a grocery store over the expand of two years to get the money to drive the Volvo. And in the climactic scene, He goes to the Volvo dealership. The music is just building and he puts down his money and he drives off the lot with the Volvo. He's weeping and how you feeling at this film? Are you looking around going, is anybody else watching this? We do this with our lives. We do this with our lives and we expect the result to be different. Your life is a story. You are telling a story with your life. And if we tell a story about spending two years to save up for a Volvo, it will feel as meaningful when we come to the end of it as it would have if you'd have seen it in a film. The stuff we want has to be ambitious. It has to be connected to love. It has to be relational. Those are the great stories. It has to be sacrificial. I have a friend who um, we were having coffee and he made this passing comment. He said, blah, 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 well, you know, life is meaningless, blah, blah, blah. We hear that a lot in Portland. (laughs) But after studying story, I kind of heard it differently, you know, I heard it differently. I I thought to myself, you know, I've never walked out of a movie saying, all movies are boring, or all movies are meaningless. I've only said that movie was boring, or that movie was meaningless, right? And so I said something really rude to my friend, I shouldn't have said it, but I said, what if life is not meaningless? what if just your life is meaningless (laughs) we're not friends anymore but I learned a really valuable lesson (laughs) that day I learned that I actually have some control some power some agency even some authority that God has given me to do something with my actual life I can decide to live a meaningful story. Therefore, if my life feels meaningless, if I am depressed, it may be because I have jumped into a story that doesn't mean anything. Or worse, I'm so passive that I'm waiting for a story to happen to me. I'm looking at my dog going, talk! (laughs) Tell me what to do, Lucy. I think we need to take some responsibility for our stories. We need to take some responsibility for the life that God has given us. And maybe live something meaningful and exciting. And we have to want something. Now, every year, I get alone in a cabin on Mount Hood, or I go up to Seattle, and uh, I plan out the coming year. And it's served me great. I mean, you know, career goals, it's always the same stuff. You know, finish the website, uh, wrap up the book, these kinds of things, career stuff. And if you're in your 20s and, and you want to get married and have a family, these, those are really solid, good, wise things to do. I, I had done this for a few years and after studying Story, I'm in the cabin, I'm writing down, finish the website, finish the... And I thought, you know what? It's just not going to do it this year. I want to do something different. Now, I had written a book about growing up without a father. That's part of my story, part of my back story is I grew up without a dad. And I wrote this book for kids growing up without fathers and I, as I was writing, I thought, man, you know, I had mentors when I was a kid and a book's just not going to do it this time. And I've got connections in churches all over the country what if we started little mentoring programs in these churches all over America to provide mentors for kids we have 360,000 churches we have 27 million kids growing up without dads we could actually shut down 15% of American prisons we could curb the divorce rate we could curb unwanted pregnancy and abortion we could curb uh, teen dropout rates we could curb teen suicide the church could do this within 20 years The infrastructure exists, the people are there, the money is there, the heart is there, the theological mandate is there. We just need an organization that's going to go in and kind of equip and train people on how to do this. And I'm thinking this stuff and it's coming through my head and I'm going, I don't want to do this, I want a Volvo. (laughs) So I just thought, okay, all you got to do, nobody's looking, you're alone in the cabin. All you got to do is you just got to write it down and then you can throw it away and you can throw it in the fire. But just write it down and see how it looks on paper. And I wrote down, start an organization to answer the crisis of American fatherlessness. And immediately when that happened, here's what I felt. And this is the next element of a great and meaningful story. It has to go here. The next thing I felt was fear. Incredible fear. You know what? I had never written down, finished the website and felt incredible fear. I never went, I don't know HTML. What's going to I don't know if it could... That never happened to me. But, I mean, I wrote, you know, I wrote that, and I thought, you're going to do what? What if you fail? You know how much money this is going to cost you? What? If, you know, You didn't even grow up with a dad. How are you going to mentor a kid? What are you going to teach him? How to be bitter? You ever grew up without a dad? Yeah, me too. It sucks. <laughs> Want to do some graffiti or something? I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Here's the deal. The great stories have to go through conflict. They have to. There is no good story that doesn't have conflict. And you say, Don, hold on. I'm a Christian. My life is conflict-free. Really? Really? Let's not read the Bible. No, 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 no. Christian life has conflict all through it. All through it. You know, you know, the storyline that we're taught through commercialism is that there's not supposed to be conflict in your life. That your life is supposed to be easy. That if you just spend $20 on this product, everything will be great. Of course, that's a lie. Commercialism is based mostly on lies. But then when we filter our theology through the 3,000 messages a day that are teaching us there's not supposed to be conflict, we assume that Jesus is a product that is going to take the conflict out of my life. That is not a biblical idea there's a couple problems with that one is conflict existed before the fall of man internal emotional human conflict existed before the fall of man if you look at Genesis 2 and 3 it's really fascinating Adam is created right Adam is created he has this amazing wonderful relationship with God that you and I won't have until we're reunited with the Trinity I mean his relationship is so intimate and close to God that Moses describes it this way he says Adam could walk around naked and not be ashamed that's an amazing relationship when I'm naked I know that I'm naked (laughs) Adam has this incredibly close relationship right And in the midst of that, the scripture says that Adam is lonely and can't find a helpmate suitable. Wait a second. This is before the fall of man. Are you telling me Adam is incomplete? Yes. God made Adam so that he would want something, need something, and desire something, and then God did not give Adam that thing. So he is having a negative emotional experience Before the fall of man. This idea that before the fall there were no problems or hurts or whatever, that's not by design. God is creating story, and story has to have conflict. Why would God do this? Well, let's look at what God does. God creates Adam. Adam is incomplete. It's so funny when 20 somethings come to you and they just say, You know, Don, I just want to be made complete in God before I even seek a mate. I just think, Well, it's going to take a long time. He's not. He doesn't have an eHarmony account, you know. It's not going to date you. It's kind of like saying, I'm just going to not eat food until God is my food. Well, you're going to die. <laughs> rah, 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 rah. Awesome. <laughs> no, that's silly. That's silly. That's, that's religious weird talk. The Bible is a very practical book when you look at it. It matches our reality, you know. And so what does God do with Adam? He sees Moses well of course God knew but Moses puts it in this language I see that Adam is incomplete and needs a helpmate suitable and so what beautiful thing does God does he creates Eve doesn't he No it's not what God does you know what God does to Adam it's right there verse after verse He sees that he's lonely and can't find a helpmate suitable and so God says to Adam name the animals That stinks <laughs> That is not an assignment that we want, right? When we're lonely and can't find a help made suitable. Name the animals. Now, I have a friend, Kevin Kelly, started Wired Magazine. He's trying to name the unnamed species on the planet. There are 20 million unnamed species on the planet today. So he's creating a Wikipedia of the species. This will take Kevin the rest of his life, and will probably take another scientist the rest of his life. There are scientists from around the world working on the project. It's a multi-million dollar project. Adam was not given a weekend job. This is Darwin on the Galapagos Islands, right? Tough job, and the whole time he's lonely. He doesn't have what he wants by design. God is with him in this hurtful, painful process. And not only, it's not like there were a lot of, um, like he met a girl at a bar, he didn't get her number. They don't exist. So he doesn't even know what he wants. He's hanging out with a monkey and it's not working. He can't get the eye contact that he needs. <laughs> Monkey keeps running the banana around. Stop, just stop. So at the end of this process, God puts Adam to sleep. He takes from Adam a rib. Adam wakes up. He sees Eve, and the first bit of Hebrew parallelism is spoken in Scripture. It's an ancient form of poetry. It's meant to uh, tell us that this is a beautiful moment. Pay attention it's meant to tell us there are no words to describe what is happening here so we're gonna break into a piece of art and Adam says bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh you know what that means she's like me she's like me and that phrase is given beauty because Adam went through conflict there's some conflict that God just puts into life it's just there there's some conflict that exists because of the fall of man and it's dark And it's hard, and God is going to redeem it, and God doesn't like it. There's some conflict that we get into because we made stupid decisions. And God lovingly disciplines us and restores us. I remember two years ago, two and a half years ago, being in a hotel room in Los Angeles. I was speaking at a big conference. And darkest night of my life, tough one. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fairly happy guy and uh, I just don't, I don't do the whole sad thing very much and uh, essentially something fell apart in my life that meant a whole lot to me and uh, I was even in counseling because it just wasn't going well and um, I remember understanding why people would want to kill themselves. I mean, I, I just remember being in this hotel an hour before I was to speak and just going, I get it now. Like the pain is just too much, and I knew story. I knew what God was doing. I knew that God was going to redeem that situation and really uh, make my life more beautiful and meaningful and strengthen my character through the experience, and I still didn't care. It was just that painful, and some of you have actually been there. And I remember I said to God this, like a nine-year-old. I couldn't get him back. It's hard to get God back, he's high. So I said this. I said, God, I know what you're doing. I know you love me. I don't question that. Um, But this is overkill. And I will never thank you for this. I told him that. Like a nine-year-old, right? (laughs) I will never, ever thank you for this. Hurts too much. And within a year, um, I thanked him, I think, two days ago in my house. I mean, some of the character flaws that were in my life that I had prayed that God would rid me of he took me through these specific experiences that I would need to what felt like literally burn them out of me. And I just go, God, the re- my family will thank you, my children will thank you for ridding that stuff out of my life through an extreme amount of pain. If there isn't conflict in your life, and I don't want to make light of conflict, there's, there's stuff that's so hard. And I just want to tell you this, God can redeem that And make it something beautiful. If you look at my life and and, uh, you say, Don, you know, it's so awful that your dad split when you were two and all this kind of stuff. I say, you know what God did with that? God will probably shut down 15% of American prisons because my dad left. Because of the pain that was in my life, I have the empathy to understand and do something with that pain. It's when we don't let God redeem our pain and we just fester in it. That's the stories that don't work well. We come to the end of those stories and we just go, I don't even like this story, I'm just bitter. You meet people sometimes who are bitter and angry about something, and um, you meet them a couple years later and they're still bitter and they're still angry, and it's because God didn't, or they chose not to move forward in their story. So what does God wanna do? What does God wanna make beautiful out of the pain that I'm experiencing? I'm gonna have to rush through this here. Every story also has a climax. It's the point in a story in which all the trouble ends. Usually happens about five minutes from the end of the movie. So uh, Rudy makes the football team at Notre Dame. Harry kisses Sally. Uh, You know, on and on. I think that's by design. Also, I think the reason that universally there's a climax in every story is because there's something going on deep in the human soul that is troubling. I mean, it's hard, and I'm not talking about your marriage isn't working out or you lost your job. Something else. Something just isn't right that was right before the fall of man, and we we, we want a resolution to this internal conflict. And so we begin to think as Christians that the resolution to this internal conflict is Jesus. I think we're partly right. Please hear me out because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't think, and I don't think the Bible teaches us that Christian conversion is the climax of life. I think the Bible teaches that the climax of life is the wedding feast of the Lamb. That the point at which all the conflict, the internal struggle in your life will be resolved is at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And essentially, what Christ has done is uh, he's invited you to be one with him. And Paul talks about waiting in eager expectation. And Paul talks about having the hope of Christ. And Paul talks about in this current struggle having hope of the glory that will be revealed. In Christ. So what this means is, and here's what we tend to do in our thinking, because we live in this commercialized culture, we turn Jesus into a product that's going to make everything okay. If I just invest faith, I get Christ and everything is okay, sort of. If you invest faith, you get Christ, and then you wait for the reunion with the Trinity where there will be a wedding, and you will be one with Christ, and Christ and God will look at you, and he'll no longer see your sin, he'll see his son in you, and through the agency that Christ has, you're going to be fine. So where we are in the human epic is we're in the middle of Act 2, where all the conflict is, and Act 3 climaxes the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, that makes my life make a lot of sense. That actually makes the pages of Scripture make a lot of sense. So I'm no longer, here's here's how it applies. I'm no longer going to bed at night going, man, I just don't feel like I've got it all together. I don't feel like, you know, my life just isn't resolved. But I'm a Christian. Shouldn't it be great? No. It's tough. It's hard. I like Paul in Philippians, he says this in chapter three, verse 10, he says, I wanna know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says this But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior. Is Paul a Christian yet? Why is he expecting anything? Why is he hoping anything? Why is there will be language? Because he's waiting for the climax of his life, the reunion with the Trinity. When the fall will be restored. So what, we, what Christ offers us is this, uh, what my friend calls a betrothal, a wedding ring, you are mine, and someday we will be, get married. Isn't it interesting that in scripture, it's not unlike it is in so many movies, where if it's a comedy, it ends with a wedding, and if it's a tragedy, it ends with a funeral. I'd lo- I just love that the pages of Scripture end with a wedding, where there will be a feast, and there will be dancing, and depending on what denomination you are, there will be drinking. So this commercialized stuff is really messing us up. Can you imagine if the apostles did an infomercial for the product of Jesus? They wouldn't sell any of it. I mean, Paul would be like, uh, hey, my name is Paul. Can you imagine late night television looking at the camera? My name is Paul, I wanna tell you about the product of Jesus. I was wealthy, had all kinds of money, all kinds of power, would go anywhere I wanted, had frequent flyer miles, and then I met the product of Jesus. Now, I was blinded for a few days, but stay with me. (laughs) I lost my job, I lost my friends, I lost my authority, I was routinely gone from town to town, uh, beaten and bitten by snakes. You too can have Jesus if you just call toll free. Or Peter, right? Hi, I'm Peter, I had a successful fishing business, I had two boats, at least 12 guys working for me. Product of Jesus comes along, he says, I will make you fishers of men, I think slave trade, cha-ching, let's go. I follow Jesus around, I discover that he wants to take over the government. He's got a kingdom, and he wants to be king. So I ask him, I say, can I be second in command? He answers with a riddle. I'm pretty sure he means yes. (laughs) Then the Romans come. I cut off the guy's sword. I'm like, here we go. We're going to take over the government. He willingly goes with him. He's crucified. He dies. I tear my clothes. I go running through the streets because everything that I've placed my hope in is dashed. What I thought God was going to do, he didn't do. And now I'm confused. Jesus comes back from the dead. He preaches for about 40 days. He goes up to heaven. And then my wife and I teach for a little while until we're in prison and we're crucified upside down. You too can have Jesus if you just call, (laughs) No, what God calls you and I into is an awesome story. And so here's our homework. You get to be screenwriters. For your homework. Get a big yellow tablet. Every good movie is written on a yellow tablet. And just ask yourself some questions. What do I want? And if you're in a family, what do we want? If somebody picked up the DVD of your family, what does it say? The Jones family wants to get out of debt. That's great. Right? Let's tweak it a little bit. Jones family wants to get out of debt debt and build an orphanage in Mexico. Right? And it needs to be clear. This is what we want. And then when conflict hits, you go, you know what? I was expecting this. Conflict only blesses me. There's no amount of conflict that I can experience that God won't redeem and make something beautiful about. I'm not running from it. I'm not seeking comfort. I don't fear it. I embrace it. I have a reason to be happy and contented in the midst of it because my life is not about this world and whether or not I have a Volvo. I want to tell a beautiful and meaningful story. How great would it be? I just did a eulogy for the guy who was my mentor when I was a kid. He died without any money. He was a youth pastor in Austin, Texas. He rescued me. I mean, the guy, I was breaking into houses when he met me. Gave me a little column in the youth group newsletter when I was in junior high, so I started writing. He just gave his whole life away. And I did the eulogy at this guy's funeral. And and on the way to Austin, I just thought to myself, man, you know, David gave his whole life away. And he could have been a real estate agent, he could have done so much with his life. But he gave his whole life away, and he just loved people with his life. I wonder if love wins out in the end. They had to hold his funeral in a baseball stadium. He never published a book. He never sold a sermon on the internet. He never spoke to thousands of people. All he did was love. All he focused on his life on was the stuff that makes a story beautiful and meaningful. And when the credits rolled in that man's life, nobody had to make up anything to pretend his story was interesting. We were bawling. His story was just so beautiful. May we tell such inspiring and wonderful stories with our lives. May we tell stories that set the moral compass for the people around us, for our families, for our neighbors, for our neighborhoods, so that they better understand what is beautiful in this life and what is profane, what is worth living for, and what is worth dying for. Father, we are so grateful that you have given us this life to live and the freedom within it to tell a beautiful story. When we get to heaven, can we just hear you say, that was a great story. Thanks for telling it. Amen.
0: That is Donald Miller. Uh, The website is storylineblog.com. The book is called Storyline, Finding Your Subplot in God's Story. I'll have a link to that book on the website. Again, thanks for listening. Gone long today, once again. (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm excited about this new chapter of life and the future um, pressing forward. Pray for me as I and we continue to press into the great storyteller, right? The great director in the sky,
1: so to speak, right? The script... What's the script? I'll
0: leave you with some casting crowns. My name is Russ Shaw. Go tell a great story. Till next
1: time, bye. Standing at the water's edge. I dropped my dreams when I dropped my nets. No hesitation, no regrets followed you, but that was then And this is now You washed my feet and you changed my name I swore I'd never be the same But just like the tides, I guess people change Cause that was then And this is now I could go back but I don't know how I remember when I stood my ground I swore I never let you down I want to be that man again But that was there and this is now a blind man lift his head And look his Savior in the eyes I heard a dead man take a breath drop to my knees as I watched him rise And I felt the sea beneath my feet As I stepped out all the. Knee- the storm raging within. You reach down and caught me there. But this is now. I wish I could go back, but I don't know how. i remember Sin had closed the door I see my Savior standing on the shore With arms wide open Just like the first time you called my name You said that was then and this is now My child, I bore your cross, I wore your crown when you couldn't come to me, my love came down. So take my hand, I'll lead you out. Because that was there. And this is now. My child, I've your cross, I've